Let's open your Bibles to 1 Timothy. We're going to be continuing on together from chapter 5, verse 3. If you're uh, visiting with us, you're very welcome. We have been going through 1 Timothy from the beginning of this year, verse by verse. And last week we, we looked at the implications of the last portion of chapter 2, which predominantly we looked at women as sisters in all purity. And we looked at the fundamental nature of dating within the household of God and what spiritual incest looks like. And this week we move on into verse 3 where Paul is instructing Timothy for the care and for the um, amonation of widows amongst the churches and within the churches. But before we really go into um, chapter three of, of sorry, verse three of chapter five, I think it's best for us first to start maybe in the Gospel of Luke. I know that you've opened up to First Timothy, but keep your mark there. We're going to be coming back to First Timothy, but also open up a few with me for the Gospel of Luke, chapter seven, verse eleven. The reason I want to start here is for many of us, whenever we think of the term widow, we may have a cultural picture that's painted for us automatically within our minds. And it's because of that cultural picture that we can miss the importance of what we see here, particularly in the Gospel of Luke chapter 7, but also throughout the entirety of Scripture. What I want to read here is Jesus whenever he raises the widow's son. So start with me, chapter 7 of the Gospel of Luke, verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Naan, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bear, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I said to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. So whenever we read that, immediately, particularly with our own culture and our own understanding of the family dynamic, our own understanding of women's roles, men's roles, and the role of the family in general, we can miss the emphasis here that Jesus is trying to bring. For example, whenever we read what's just happened, we read in verse 13, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Now for many of us, we would totally understand the surface level compassion. The compassion is of a grieving mother who's just lost her son. Surely, Gary, that has to be the compassion for which Jesus is showing. This is a mother who's lost her son. This is a mother who's lost her only son. Surely it is the right thing to do to raise him. And if we stop there, we would fall into what we see as the cultural norm today, where we understand women's roles, men's roles, mother's roles, father's roles, completely different as the gospel narrative describes it throughout the entirety of the Bible. For example, we need to make sure that we understand what is set before us in verse 12. 
As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. Now he says there, Luke, as we know, for anyone who's gone through the midweeks, as we have continually over the past nearly three years gone through quite a bit of the Gospel of Luke, we understand who Luke is. Luke is a physician by before his calling. He is a man who takes every single word to have a specific meaning and doesn't have anything in here that he does not intend. So what he says here is, a man. So it is not a young boy. This is a man. He has come of age. He is old. He is someone that may be ready to have gotten married. But ultimately we understand the context is that this son is not a boy. He is a man. And then he goes on and says, The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Now the context of the hearers at this point would totally understand what the need would be. The need here is going to outweigh the need to stop the grieving. The need here is going to outweigh the need to take away the pain of loss or of the weep. Excuse me, the weeping or of all the time coming together. What is the need? The need is, in this time, any woman who had no husband had no one to protect her. Had no one to sustain her. Women, throughout the entirety as we're going to see, the narrative of the Bible, nowhere do we see a woman in a position where she is called in God's plan to be the sustainer of herself. Nowhere do we see that it's not meant to be a man who is meant to be the protector and keeper of the woman. Be very careful. I may have upset some people last week with regard to talking about Christian dating. We've upset an awful lot more people today talking about men's and women's roles. But we have to take... The word of God as the word of God. Nowhere, Old Testament or New Testament, do we see a call for women to go out and sustain themselves. It's normative in our culture. Women work today. Women sustain themselves today. Women can do whatever they want to do today. But the biblical narrative, God's narrative, was always for that woman who is more of a precious vessel to be safeguarded by either her father before marriage or her husband during marriage. Therefore, in this context, in this time frame, but more so in the Bible narrative, this woman who has lost her husband only had one person to sustain her. Was who? Her son. And he was her only son. She is about to be in a position of poverty, potentially, depending on what the husband had left in place. If she's old enough to have a son who's come of age, more than likely her father is no longer alive. Her husband is no longer alive. Her son now is no longer alive. And the compassion that Christ has is for this widow's need of having someone to sustain, keep and protect her. If we had time, we could turn to different passages and look as we have done in the study of the Gospel of Luke. And we can see time and time again how the Pharisees in particular were called out as being those who sneaked into widows' homes and stole from them. They used their position of authority within the church to manipulate and to take from those who were the most vulnerable. They are meant to have, a woman is meant to have a husband to sustain because if we believe the rest of the narrative of 1 Timothy, we've already looked at a woman's place is where? In the home. A keeper of the home. Does that mean that she cannot do other things to be able to be an entrepreneurial spirit, so to speak? Absolutely. But her role then and today and tomorrow is to be, according to God's word, in the home. 
Therefore, if you are adhering to Scripture as they did then, or you did today, if your entire life was not based upon going to university, getting a job, getting a career, making the best and the most of yourself that you can, but your job was to be a faithful wife, devoted to her home, her children, and whatever else is there. If that is the case of blessing, then when your husband dies, and your son dies, and you have no way to sustain yourself, what do you do? And we need to get this. Because we will not understand anything that Paul is saying to the church then or today with regards to widows. If we just think a widow is somebody who's lost their husband, but hey, she can go and work in Tesco's. We have to understand the entirety of the Bible narrative. We have to understand the role of a woman. And more so, we have to understand, as we're going to see in the weeks to come, that any man who does not provide for his household is worse than a non-believer. We'll unpack that whenever we get to it. So here we see the compassion that God has for her. He says, do not weep. And he raises up her son, giving her somebody who can sustain her, protect her, and be able to equip her with all her needs and wants and desires. If we had time today, which we don't, we could, we may go into it in the future, go into all the Old Testament that speaks clearly of what is to happen whenever you become widowed. How it is the responsibility of your husband's brothers, if there's no one else to marry her, to marry her. If there is no one else to marry her, it is the responsibility of the father. If there's no other father, then it's the responsibility of the sons. And we can go through all that. But particularly what I want to look at as well this morning is turn to the Gospel of John. And here we're going to see the exact same imagery being painted by Christ himself. John 19, verse 26. Here we have the crucifixion of our Lord. We understand that he only speaks to two people whenever he is on the cross. That is, he speaks to the thief who is being led into repentance and being told that he shall be in glory. And the other is to the writer of this gospel, John. And we read what our Lord has to say at verse 26 of chapter 19. When Jesus saw his mother... And the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. Joseph is dead at this stage when Christ is on the cross. If we understand Jesus' brothers, in particular James, we're going to go and read in in a moment. We have to understand that all of Christ's brothers did not believe that he was the Messiah. It wasn't until after his resurrection that they came to faith. So here we have Christ on the cross, seeing his mother, knowing that he has been her sustainer. He has been her protector. He has been the one to keep her fed and clothed and whatever else had to be done because his father had passed on. Now he hangs on the cross knowing that his brothers will not want to care for her because she has stepped out of Judaism. He who's been crucified in their opinion rightly has made the audacious claim to say that he is God incarnate in flesh. Therefore, Christ looks upon John, his friend, his disciple, and says, This is now your mother. Woman, this is now your son. And the implications, John, of what that means, you are now to take upon yourself. And that's why John writes from that very 
hour the disciple took her to his home. It is the call to look after widows as her now adoptive son, led upon his shoulders by Christ. So we understand the dynamic. We're going to look at it a little bit more in the Old Testament, but turn with me as well now to the book of James. James chapter 1, verse 27. Here we have described to us by James what religion, what Christianity looks like. And he says in verse 27, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That is it. You are to die to self and keep oneself unstained from the world. But also you are called to look after the widow. You are called to look after the orphan. And how does the Bible continue to describe the orphan? The fatherless. What does it mean to be a, a widow? It is to be husbandless. It is the father's role to make sure that the home has a provision underneath the due care of the mother who is the keeper of her home to be able to sustain, feed and clothe their children. It is the father who is there to protect the family. It is the man's role to take the woman and the children underneath his care and diligence and protection. Therefore, pure religion, religion after God's own heart is what? His own mandate. Men to look after the widows. Men to take care of the women and the children. Those who have no fathers, those who have no mothers, those who have no wider family circle. The true orphans are to be cared for by the church. Back to 1 Timothy. So whenever we come to honour widows who are truly widows in verse 3, we have to start being able to build upon our understanding of what that means. And again, I want to take, a, take our time to unpack this a little bit more. We could go on now and move on, but I think that we need to build on this understanding of widow a little bit more. I think for us to be able to understand what it means to honour a widow who are truly widows, we have to unpack that a little bit more. So turn with me, if you will, to Deuteronomy chapter 27. Deuteronomy chapter 27. And hopefully through this short, brief survey of the Old Testament, we're going to be able to see God's narrative, God's heart for the widow. And last week, if you remember, we, we looked at Deuteronomy 27 whenever we, we talked about the uh, incest within the faith family, brothers having relationships with sisters, not just of the flesh, but also of the spiritual nature. We read it in verse 22. Now we're going to look at verse 19, where it says, Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. You're cursed if you do not look after what is duly meant to come to someone who is a widow. God has continually said provision for the sojourner, those who are travelling amongst you, the fatherless, which are the orphans, and the widows. Book of Isaiah, chapter 1. Book of Isaiah, chapter 1, we're 
where we can read about the wickedness of Judea. And we'll get a little bit of context here for what we're about to read. And we'll read from chapter 1 of Isaiah verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Now we understand that he's not speaking to Sodom. But he's describing here God's people within the context of Judah as the rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now we understand Sodom and Gomorrah was a place of massive iniquity, massive debauchery, and complete turning against against God's statutes. This is what God has to say to them with regards to what they're doing. Verse 11. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have, enough, I, have, I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fattened beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you these trampling of my courts, bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of uh, convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. He's saying you're coming into my house. You're doing all the rituals that you have to do. And it is an abomination to me because I see your heart. To us today as I said this morning. As they come into worship the Lord. And although we sing the songs. Although we may raise our hands. Although we may tap our feet or whatever we are. God sees your heart. He understands whether or not you're bringing a vain offering. He understands well not you actually believe the words that you're singing aloud and that you're proclaiming them as truth from the heart and the soul that is welling up with inside yourself. And he's describing here all the sacrificial system of the Old Testament as vanity. I see who you are. And you're living a life similar to those of Sodom and Gomorrah. Who has asked of you, who has required of you to trample my courts? To come into my presence, sinners, unrepentant, going through the motions. So he says in verse 15. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil from your deeds before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice. So that's the context of the verse we're about to read. God here is saying, everything that you're doing seems from the outside to be right, but I see the inner self. I see what's being done in the dark places. I see whom you really are. Therefore, repent, correct, and turn from your ways. He says at the end of verse 17, correct oppression, Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's kiss. So two things he cites. I want you to turn, cease from doing evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's kiss. And he says, if you do that, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
Out of all the things he could say there to a people that are acting like Sodom and Gomorrah, his two main sightings are, get rid of the evil, correct what is wrong, look after the widow, look after the fatherless. This is a massive issue within the narrative of the Old Testament and the New Testament. God's desire that men are to be leaders of their home, women are to be keepers of their home, and the responsibilities that come along with that. Jeremiah 22. Jeremiah 22, verse 1. Here we have the prophet Jeremiah delivering God's word. Chapter 2, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak there these words. And say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, who sits on the throne of David. You and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord. Do justice and righteousness and deliver the hand of the oppressor, him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien or the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you will indeed obey this word, then there shall enter the gates of this house kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their servants and their people. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. For thus says the Lord concerning the house of the king of Judea, deliver those who are being oppressed, the resident alien, the fatherless, the widow. Time and time again, continually God pointing to the need. Because what would happen is that someone who is faithfully following God's word, particularly women, faithfully giving themselves over to the servanthood of Christ and the servanthood of the narrative of Christ through the Old Testament, to be keepers of their home, to be submissive to their husbands, to do all that they're called to do. And then when their husband dies, the family did not want to know, the kids saw it as a burden, and all of them entered out of the way of God, which was to look after the widow, look after the orphan. Exodus 22, verse 23. I know we're jumping around a little bit, but I think it's, it's important. Context of chapter 22 of Exodus, it is the laws that's being given. And it's the laws of social justice. In verse 20, we read... Whoever sacrifices to any God other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. Now, this is something that still rings true today. We understand that. Anybody who is a claimer of that they are part of the people of God, or the household of God, part of the church, if they are bowing down and, and worshipping a golden calf, you would know that that is wrong. You would call it out. And that is the same narrative then as it is today. But he goes on to make sure that the context which he has just said any other gods before him shall be devoted to destruction. He then goes into verse 21. You shall not wrong the sojourner or oppress him. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow. What does it mean to mistreat a widow? To mistreat a widow. A widow. He said that three times fast. Mistreat a widow. 
What does it mean to mistreat a widow? What it means is you're not doing the God-given provision that you're meant to as a man. Either as the widow's father, either as the widow's husband, or either as the widow's sons. If we time today, we could turn to the book of Ruth, and we could see it so well played out. How whenever Naomi tells Ruth and Oprah to go, go back to your own homes, go back to the safekeeping of your own parents. Oprah decides to and Ruth says no. And how it is by Boaz that she then becomes made right and is then once again being kept and protected by that. We could turn that and unpack that whole narrative. It goes on here in verse 22. It says, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath will burn. And I will kill you with the sword. And your wives shall become widows. And your children fatherless. In other words, if you are going to take this thing to be so light, which it is in our day and age, a widow today is not really seen in the context of what we saw with Christ and that widow's son. We simply think that everyone is called to care for themselves. Women are called to go out and work. Women are called to do whatever they have to do to make themselves right. You know, in fact, it is the social welfare system that is there to take care of them. No, it's not as we're going to see. It is God's purpose for women to have defined roles by Him, not defined by culture. It is men to be defined by God's roles and not defined by culture and ultimately to be led into this. And the warning is, my wrath will burn and your punishment will be, your wife, whom you love, will be treated as you treat that woman. Your kids, whom you love, will be treated as you treat the fatherless child. Your children will become fatherless and they will be treated and misused, misrepresented, mis done with properly by oppression as they are. If you look upon the widow, have no compassion, your wife will be the same. You look upon the, fa- the fatherless, the orphan, and have no compassion, your children will be the same. And who does that fall upon? We know that through the Bible narrative falls with the family. Acts chapter 6. We all understand the context of the book of Acts. It is the Acts of the Apostles and the beginning of the church. Acts chapter 6 verse 1. And here we have the beginning of the first ministry in the church. There has been no other ministries up to this point. Apart from the proclamation of the word. Prayer meetings. Study of God's word, doctrinal understanding, that's what the church was about. And here we have the very first ministry coming to the fore. New Testament covenant, New Testament church, underneath the uh, discipleship of Christ himself, here we have the apostles. And what is their first care? We read about it in verse 1 of chapter 6. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Quick context, Hellenists is someone from Greek ancestry. Someone who was and has come in from being a Gentile into the faith through the proclamation of the gospel. And they're getting a little bit upset because they're saying, hey, our widows, those whom we care about, those whom we love, are getting overlooked. And the ones who are getting all the stuff from the church are those who are from the Hebrew descent, those from the Jewish descent. 
arose against the, Jew, the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. This is the distribution of the food by the church. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should go up from preaching the word of God and serve tables. What's he saying there? Our job here in the church is to preach, to teach, to proclaim, to give doctrine truths, to show people what the word of God means. We're not meant to leave this and go up and start serving the widows. Let's get together a bunch of godly guys and get them to go and do it. And that's what we read out from verse 4 on. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose and names them Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And Philip and goes on and names the rest. Verse 6. These they set before the apostles. And they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Here we have the first instilling of the role of the church. We're going to unpack this in the weeks to come. How it is the church's job. To care after the education. Through the preaching and teaching of the word. The prayer for the needs of those around the world. To either hear the gospel. Or to be able to have their needs met. It is the church's role and the church's job. To meet the needs of the orphan. The widow or the sojourner. It is not the job of ministries. It is the job of the church. This is what we see here, foundational step one of the church. First ministry, widows. Why? Because it is God's narrative from the Old Testament the whole way through. Women were not working to sustain themselves because they were keepers of their homes. It is the man's job and the church's job when there is that, that is void by either men who don't want to fill that calling by God or by family members who want to fill that calling for God. Then the faith family will fill that calling of God for God. Acts 9 verse 36. We see this again emphasized. Acts 9 verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha. Which translate means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. Here we have a plain description by Luke again. Of what this woman was like. Full of good works. Full of charity. But he doesn't define it. What does it mean that she's full of good works? What does it mean she's full of charity? Well we'll see. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her. They laid her in an upper room. Since Lydia was near Joppa. The disciples hearing that Peter was there. Sent two men to him. Urging him please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping. Why? He says why. Showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. Here's a woman who understands gospel narrative. Here's a woman who understands compassion for her fellow sister in Christ. Here's a woman who understands the need and the plight and the oppression of the widow. They stand gathered in the upper room as they mourn and they weep the loss of this person who was, what it said, full of good works, full of charity. Someone who was devoting herself to the care and to the need of the widows. Someone who was using the resources that were coming in from maybe her own husband or her own family and was distributing them for the glory of God, for the safekeeping of the widows. And they're crying. 
And they're showing Peter, this is a godly woman. Look at her tunics. Look at her clothes. Look at what this woman did for the widows. When so many others wanted to turn aside from God's narrative. Verse 40. But Peter put them all out. And knelt down and prayed. I would imagine he put them all out because of the, the, the weeping. These were not hard mourners as we see throughout scripture. These were people who lost and who mourned. Someone who cared for them. Someone who had evidential things to be able to show. Someone who they longed to be with. Peter put them outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body he said, Tabitha rise. She opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive and became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord and he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. Why was she raised from the dead? The same reason the son was raised from the dead. Provision for the widow. This woman who was a godly woman full of good works and charity who cared for the widow's plight was raised from the dead because of the evidential truth of her work done for the glory of God through the mistreating of widows and the stopping of that. Back to 1 Timothy. Therefore this morning we're just getting into it. That's probably where as far as we're going to be able to go. But hopefully now when we see that word widow, we understand the context. When we see the word honouring widows, even for us now, what does the honour mean? Next week we'll unpack that word honour. And we'll fully be able to read this portion of scripture through the lens in which Paul desires it to be seen. Not only by Timothy, not only by the church in Ephesus, but by the church today. If women are called to submit themselves, even in the midst of our culture... To the biblical narrative for which they are not responsible for the keeping of themselves. But their husband is. And everything that goes along with that. Then therefore the caring for those women has to become priority one within the household of God and the church. And we will see the term honour widows. What that means. And we will also unpack whenever he says who are truly widows. And what that means as well. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gathering around your word this morning, Father. We ask, O Lord, that we can be renewed in our minds through your word. That it's so easy for us, Father, to slip into what culture says is right. The narrative of today's secularized society. The narrative of broken marriages, Father. People who are with each other who aren't married, Father. People who set aside your ways and your laws as being irreverent, as being outdated, as being old. Father, we ask that as we study this word, Lord, which is your word, whom you chose to speak to us by, that we will start to build our lives not upon what we desire, Lord, but upon your narrative, your word. That we will come graciously to you, Father. Full of doubt, Lord. Maybe not even understanding it. But with one truth echoing in our heart. Your ways, O Lord, are higher than my ways. You know, Father, what I do not know. 
And as your narrative, Lord, for how a family is to be seen, how husbands are meant to treat wives, how wives are meant to treat husbands. As we've prayed so many times, Father, let us move aside from using secular terms, Lord, that point people away from your truth, like partner. Let us cling to words like husband and wife because there is biblical meaning to it. There is a biblical meaning to the term widow, orphan. Let us search ourselves through your scriptures, Lord. Let us cling to the narrative given to us by you through your word, old and new. Let us therefore come back hungry and thirsty next week, Lord, to understand how we are called to honour widows within the church. Father, we ask that this word lay heavy on our hearts. We ask, Father, particularly for those listening online or those who are here this morning, particularly for women, Lord, who feel the pressures of society to not be keepers of their home, Lord. That they turn aside from that, Father, and turn to your ways. We ask this in Jesus' name, O Lord. Amen. We'll stand, we'll close in worship.